Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu speaks of compromise regarding judicial reforms. Opposition leader Yair Lapid is calling for Israel to draft a new constitution. While protests continue in Tel Aviv and other parts of Israel, military officers and reservists are returning to duty. Welcome to Inside Israel News, your home for unbiased and thorough analysis of Israeli news politics, current events in the Middle East, and world news. Or as the internet trolls say, mouthpiece of the Zionist conspiracy, spokesman for the elders of Zion, highly paid propagandist of the Mossad. Yeah, no. This is Inside Israel News. I'm your host, Isaac Kite. Welcome back, insiders. To say that this last week has been tumultuous would be a gross understatement. Not the understatement of the century, for sure, but seriously a a gross understatement. Back with an Israel News episode, uh, the last World News episode, of course, I had to bump a segment on Ukraine in order to include a segment on uh, Bibi because uh, Netanyahu has just announced that he is seeking compromise. He's putting the brakes on the judicial reforms, looking for uh, some compromise. In any case, it's been it's been an interesting week. So there are many fabulous things to talk about. So I'm going to uh, go into some of those topics. Uh, first of, and foremost, uh, the compromise, the talk of compromise. What could those compromises look like? Things of that nature. And then on top of that, uh, Opposition leader Yair Lapid has called for the creation, uh, you know, the drafting of a constitution. So that will be an important segment as well. It would change uh, the nature of Israel's government a little bit to, you know, from a parliament, a sovereign parliament into a constitutional republic. And it kind of sounds like Israel would really like to be a constitutional republic right about now. (laughs) In any case, uh, that is... um, That is what's on the plate for today. Uh, Plenty to talk about there. So uh, with that, I will I will go into that. So, of course, your your gregarious Vulcan, yours truly, (laughs) Isaac Kite, back for another wonderful episode of Inside Israel News with rationality, reason and sanity in a world gone mad. Times are certainly insane out there. Uh, Just, you know, every day the news, it's it's well, anyway. Every day it gets crazier, but right here in Inside Israel News, you know uh, things are actually really good, or uh, at the very least, you get a you get a good explanation for uh, what's going on. Some some sanity, <laughs> a brief respite from a world gone mad. All right, what in the world is going on in Israel? So. Uh, those of you who have listened to previous episodes, I'm going to recap just briefly for those who might not have heard previous episodes. We get new listeners every episode, and so I can't uh, be certain who has heard what and and who hasn't. Um, In the previous episodes, I've talked about how uh, Bibi Netanyahu and his coalition have proposed these judicial reforms. And the reforms are in basically two parts. One, changing the selection committee that chooses the judges for Israel and to giving the Knesset an override on the Supreme Court's decisions. And these result from uh, the fact that the judiciary is largely left-leaning while the uh, for uh, quite some time in Israel, since 2009 consistently and uh, basically since 2001 
for all intents and purposes, the right has been leading uh, the Israeli government. The the center-left Kadima party led uh, a left-leaning coalition from 2006 to 2009. But other than that, and the brief interlude of the right and left, you know, far-right parties siding with the far-left uh, <clears throat> coming together to form the change bloc that lasted a year and a half during the uh, exciting episode of five elections in two and a half years that Israel just had between 2019 and uh, 2022. Um, anyway, there, there's been a couple of interludes, but for the most part, uh, the right has been in charge in Israel. And uh, for the most part, that has been led by Bibi Netanyahu. Well, the right makes policy and then the Supreme Court strikes it down. And so the right's argument is that the courts are interfering with conservative I shouldn't use that word conservative because the right in Israel is not conservative the way we think of conservatism here in the U.S. They have struck down right-leaning policies in Israel, uh, claiming that the basic law is basically like a constitution and and using that in legal principles and what have you. Uh, They have struck down uh, right-wing legislation and agreements and what have you uh, in favor of uh, driving things in a left-leaning direction. So... Uh, that's the main reason that the uh, that these reforms are on the table. Now, I do have to note these legal reforms, the concept of these legal reforms were really important uh, campaign issues in the last election. So the the political parties, especially the religious Zionists, but to a lesser extent Likud and Bibi in, in general, they kind of kept the judicial reforms quiet as to what exactly they were going to do. But it was well known that judicial reforms were among those things being uh, proposed if Bibi Netanyahu won. And he won 64 seats in the Knesset, 64 out of 120, 61 being a majority, 64 is more than a majority. Uh, and so while this coalition is made up of parties like religious Zionists that are far farther right than Israel has ever had, the religious Zionist conglomeration of parties includes a couple of pretty uh, out there parties like Otzma. You know, Otzma Yehudit is the uh, Jewish strength party and it's it's Kahanist and it's very far right. And it's um, in the past, Kahanists have advocated violence against the Arabs and the removal of the Arabs and uh, things of that nature that are far outside the mainstream of Israeli politics and, and are actually considered quite unwelcome by most Israelis. Uh, but they're in the religious Zionist coalition. And Ben Gavir, Itamar Ben Gavir, the uh, the current justice minister who you know heads the the national excuse me the national security minister who heads the police and what have you. Uh, and um, has been also given administrative control over the law enforcement in Judea and Samaria, which used to be run by the Ministry of Defense, but now uh, it is headed by Ben Gavir, who serves also as National Security Minister. And uh, so things are a little bit different there. In any case, this coalition did campaign on this issue. So the left is out protesting, saying that, you know, this these reforms would end democracy in Israel. Israel would no longer be a liberal democracy if these passed. And, uh, you know, the, the reforms are going to lead to the destruction of individual liberty. And the right is going to just cram through whatever they want legislatively. And uh, Israel's going to be a dictatorship and all of these things. Uh, the usual, you know, sky is falling rhetoric we get uh, when uh, the right proposes anything. Right. You know, we had, uh, you know, no child left behind in that Bush put forward. That was actually 
you know, in part written by the unions, the, the unions, teachers unions got had a big say in how that was put together. And it was the end of the world. Education was going to come to an end. Children were going to be going to school, literally learning right-wing propaganda. And, you know, the world, the sky is falling and all that kind of thing. It passed and yawn. It was actually a terrible piece of legislation that uh, didn't do anything to help uh, the students, but certainly made sure that, you know, the unions uh, got their due and, of course, uh, required uh, teacher accreditation that uh, more stringently, you know, ended ended a lot of loopholes on teacher credentialing, uh, which has reduced the diversity of teachers and increased the, uh, you know, the bottom line of colleges and universities that provide those uh, credentials. So the point is that you have uh, you have legislation proposed by people on the right and it's always the end of the world and oh god the you know literally there will be there will be literally concentration camps and you're like but you know this is an education bill literally concentration camps i mean if you know the, there will literally be auschwitz and people are going to go die and uh, oh my god so every time the right proposes legislation it's immediately the end of the world and when the left proposes legislation it's unicorns and rainbows hope and change everything will be good we have to pass it to find out what's in it Yes, well, this is the same in Israel as it is here, just the rhetoric gets a little bit more heated. Um, all of these these things are nonsense. Now, the right argues that a lot of their legislation is being struck down by the courts. That is true, to a certain extent. So I want to say that they, are, they have a, a legitimate gripe. Is it necessary to go as far as they want to go? I don't believe so. That's my personal opinion, and I tell you my opinion so you can filter out any bias. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, the left's rhetoric about, you know, this is the end of the world is nonsense. The, the legislation goes too far, but, you know, then so does the, the rhetoric of the left. There's been talk of civil war, and what they really mean is civil strife. Uh, there have been a few riots among the left-wing uh, protesters. Just, to the, you know, just the other day, 19 protesters were arrested uh, for rioting. So, you know, pick, pick, a, pick a side. Who, who do you agree with? Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, the, the main reform that's being discussed right now is the selection committee. So in the U.S., the president nominates justices for the Supreme Court and the Senate approves them. And so the, the Senate kind of acts as a, a selection committee, if you will, uh, in that way. But it's the president who puts forward the candidates, the nominees for the, the courts. Uh, in Israel, the selection committee independently chooses judges, regardless of what the prime minister or the cabinet want. And the selection committee is made up of two justices of the Supreme Court, two members of the Bar Association, and two representatives of the Knesset. So as you, as you can figure there, that's six members, uh, four of whom are not elected. Right? You have two judges who were appointed by the selection committee, and uh, you have two members of the Bar Association, who represent all of the lawyers and attorneys in the country, but uh, not the people, right? And then you have two members of the Knesset. So, you know, I've, I've told you guys before, I support political appointment of judges. That's my personal position. I have a serious pet peeve against the Bar Association participation in ju judicial selection because Bar Associations are not objective parties. They are biased. These are the attorneys that are going to argue cases before judges. Most of them are either criminal defense or litigators. 
right, who are going to be going before these judges. They want judges that are favorable to them uh, to a certain degree. They're clearly not going to be completely objective in the choice of judges. Anyway, so uh, Bibi's proposed reform would allow the government to have a majority. The Knesset uh, members would be a majority of that selection committee and they could select justices. Um, there have been compromises proposed where there'd be an equal number representing the opposition and the government and maybe uh, a few judges in between. That could work. Uh, President Herzog proposed that. However, uh, in negotiations that are happening right now between representatives of the governing coalition and representatives of the opposition, uh, the, the right has made it, the government has made it clear that they are not going to accept uh, Herzog's proposals as the, ground, the basis for, for negotiations. And those negotiations are basically going nowhere. Um, I believe somebody said that that would be the case. Who said that? I said that. What a funny thing. I have a tendency to say these things, and I have a tendency to be right about them. That's why you listen. This is Inside Israel News, and you want to be an insider. In any case, uh, the opposition doesn't want any reforms at all. You know, even President Herzog putting forward uh, compromise reforms that he proposed uh, is farther than anyone on the left wants to go. They want to keep things exactly the way they are now, right? Um that is unacceptable to the right, and it's unacceptable to democracy. The Israeli voters voted in a majority, a, a group of parties that whom they knew would pursue judicial reforms if elected. Right? That, that vote took place. Those voters need to be heard. If those voters are not heard, then uh, it's not democracy, is it? So... This is really important that uh, some reform be passed. Uh, personally, I have no problem with changing the selection committee. Why? Because I support political appointment. Uh, if it were me, I would do things completely different. I would have a committee of the Knesset with an equal number, uh, number of opposition and, and coalition members uh, that is chaired by a member of the coalition. And the chair would vote only in the case of a, a tie. And uh, that committee... Uh, would have at least one representative of every party, but, you know, representatives of the coalition, the opposition. And they would just uh, propose a list of judges from whom the prime minister could choose. Right. Just come up with a list of judges. I really liked Donald Trump's list. One of the beautiful things that happened when he ran in 2016 for president, he put out a list of potential judges, people he might appoint to the bench. And I took a look, a look at that list and I said, wow, these are some really incredibly competent judges, some very conservative, some very moderate. Obviously, Donald Trump running with the Republican Party was going to choose moderate or conservative judges. And some of those, like uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, were people who were very mainstream, right leaning, but mainstream, had, had done, you know, made a lot of uh, very... Uh, cons you know, a few conservative decisions, but mostly just, you know, went along with precedent, did did their job as, as a justice would. But obviously none of these people were activist judges. I liked that concept. And when you look at that, and he did add a few judges to that later once he got into office. But again, all judges in the same vein, right? Uh, one of the people on Trump's original list was Neil Gorsuch, whom he uh, nominated to succeed uh, Antonin Scalia, Right. And uh, Kavanaugh to succeed Kennedy. And that was a very stable judge, a terrible circus about his nomination. And of course, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, another person on his list uh, from way back uh, who 
succeeded the the notorious RGB, uh, Ruth, uh, RBG, excuse me, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, so you know you have these judges that are that are appointed that way. Now, that's the way I think it should be done. Right. I like the idea of publishing lists. I like the idea of maybe having the Knesset have some input on who could be on those lists. But at the same time, I think that at the end of the day, the executive, the head of the executive should have a free hand in nominating justices. Just me. So I don't know how they're going to do this, but at the very least, they'll figure something out uh, that is perhaps more moderate than uh, what is been proposed by the government, which would be just making the members of the Knesset, that is appointed by the government, uh, the majority of the selection committee, basically giving the government the power to select judges. Now, in most of these reforms, choosing a Supreme Court justice would require a supermajority. So, you know, even a Supreme Court justice would still require other uh, input from just the government. But the rest of the judges below that would be chosen by the government. Well, if right-wing governments continue to be elected, eventually the courts are going to be full of justices at the district at the at the trial and appellate level who are right-leaning. And then those right-leaning judges are going to be the main candidates for the Supreme Court. So, um, that is an interesting thing there. Obviously, uh, very well-qualified people need to be put on the court who are not necessarily right or left-leaning you know, objective. So we'll see how that kind of irons out. If they're able to come up with a compromise or if the government comes up with, the coalition comes up with its own plan that is less extreme or, you know, less right-leaning, <laughs> less uh, self-serving, I don't know, how you ever, however you want to put it, uh, something a little less than the government having a majority, uh, that might work. Um, you know, kick the, kick the bar association out of the process. And, um, Judges appointing judges, I mean, seriously, having a couple of judges on a selection committee where they're heavily outnumbered, it would not be a big deal. Uh, maybe one judge, right? But, but I mean, you know, uh, judges appointing judges I, is another thing that I'm not too, entirely too keen on. I mean, you know, if you had a, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain degree of the fox in charge of the hen house. There has been some nepotism in the courts in the past. Uh, there were laws to prevent that. Uh, it has gotten better, but not perfect. You know, a lot of judges, their their children and grandchildren and family members get in on the court, you know. So there's been a little bit of that. In any case, we'll see what happens. Some reform, at the very least, to the selection committee has to pass. Uh, if BB doesn't pass something, his coalition could break up. Um, there is no reason that, um, and I'm going to talk about the coalition toward the end of the of the podcast, just a little brief kind of update on on politics, but um, staying focused on the judicial reforms. I mean, if you don't pass the major reform, then that's a failure, right? Okay, so Joe Biden has hailed Bibi's willingness to compromise. Uh, he, he, you know, opposed the reforms. Again, interfering in the politics of an ally, uh, an ally country, you know, it really should be up to Israelis. Uh, and it's been noted, kind of interesting thing, you know, Joe Biden had when he came to office, um, controlled half the Senate and a very narrow majority in the House, right? And drove through everything they wanted. I mean, far left reform after far left reform, right? Uh, spending like there's no tomorrow. All of these bills just crammed through. No one could stop them, right? No one tried. And then he goes and tells BB, oh, no, 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 you can't put forward reforms that, you know, are, are self-serving or, or extreme. 
Interesting. Uh, no hypocrisy there, right? <laughs> the usual, usual from, uh, you know, the, the Biden administration. And uh, of course, many of his uh, advisors and a lot of his staff are former Obama era officials. So, you know, same thing there, driving through an, an extreme agenda, no, no matter who was in office and whether there was broad support or broad opposition. Anyway. Okay, so that's where things stand with the reforms. Where are things going from here? Uh, like I said, BB has to pass something, at the very least a reform to the Selection Committee. Uh, the override to the Supreme Court, I think, is nixed at this point. Perhaps they could pass legislation that would reduce the court's power to strike down legislation. As I said, I mean, the, the court striking down legislation is really difficult because the structure of the Israeli government is a parliamentary democracy, uh, parliamentary sovereign, a, a sovereign parliament. We talk about you know, parliamentary democracy, parliamentary sovereignty. They're two different terms, parliamentary sovereignty and sovereign parliament. And I, I explained them in, um, in the last, in a previous episode, uh, about this concept of checks and balances. You don't have checks and balances in a sovereign parliament. A sovereign parliament means parliament represents the people and therefore has all of the political power. The parliament is elected by the people and therefore acts on their behalf. So the theory of the Israeli government is that the Knesset, when a majority of members of the Knesset agree on something, is supreme, right? Salus Knesset, <laughs> right? Ex suprema lex, right? The, the needs of the Knesset are, are the supreme law as opposed to Salus Populi, right? The needs of the people, right? So, um, and, and that is, you know, in that theory of government, the elected Knesset is the representative of the people. Now, why is this the case? I will discuss in the next segment. Okay, coming up soon. Um, what's going to happen? Well, um, if Bibi doesn't pass something, his coalition may break up. He needs to get something through. Uh, and it's probably going to be a little more moderate. And then the country can move on. Once a reform is passed... The protests will likely die down. And uh, again, it, it's going to be a yawn because there's not going to be any major changes. And people can be as upset about these things as they want. But the fact is, the voters vote, right? I mean, we had an election. Yair Lapid, Benny Gantz, the, the leaders of the left lost that election. They did not win. They lost it historically. I mean, like they they put on the table all the stakes. Oh, my God, if BB wins, it's the end of the world. They you know, he's under charges for for uh, bribery and 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 quid, you know, quid pro quos. Right. Uh, bribery and corruption charges. OK, that, that he made agreements to use his office to benefit people who, uh, you know, where there was a direct corporations or what have you make deals where there was a direct benefit to himself, uh, financial benefit. Right. That's that's wrong. Right. If I'm a government official or an elected official and, you know, make a deal, hey, we're going to we're going to buy new submarines and, uh, you know, I'm going to get somehow have some financial interest in this. Right. Where, you know, a little money is going to make its way into my bank account or into a nonprofit that I control or into a corporation that I control, private company. You know, if I have control or my family has control or what have you, if it benefits me personally or my family or what have you, that is illegal. Right. Direct personal benefit or benefits the campaign. Right. The, the deal with Bezik alleges that uh, Bezik, which is an Internet provider uh, and uh, does a lot of news through their website, kind of like they're, they're kind of like the Yahoo or Google of Israel. Right. Well, if you know, they're there, there's 
uh, a very highly activist, anti-BB, um, flaming left-wing witness from that company uh, who testified that, you know, the, the owner, he heard a rumor that the owners had made a deal with BB and then was told to take down anti-BB content from the website and put up pro-BB content. So, you know, maybe maybe the website was just they just decided that it should be more fair. You know, there's there is some look that that maybe BB made a deal with them. Maybe there was a real quid pro quo, but there's certainly not uh, compelling evidence of it. You know, BB's main charge is the the submarine case where there is some stronger evidence that he may have some kind of uh, benefit from it. Uh, but in any case, those cases against him have gone to court and they're going nowhere. In fact, recently a judge uh, said that uh, on one case they, they should go to mediation. The two parties should go to mediation because at this point, you know, neither of them are winning. Neither of them have made their case. Um, but, you know, to listen to the, the Israeli left, he's, you know, caught red-handed, smoking gun, you know, guilty as sin, right? Um, it's It's, you know... That that's their version of uh, BB's cases. It's it's kind of comical. In any case, you know, democracy doesn't mean anything because you know whether the people of Israel have voted for BB to be in office doesn't mean anything because BB is charged with these highly, mostly highly political charges, and one of them that may carry some water. Uh, but you know, in theory, if he's convicted of these, he would not be allowed to continue to hold his office or to run for office in Israel. Anyway. So that's the left's position. Um, but they lost. They, they made a big play about that and opposing judicial reforms and all of that in the election. Right? They said that this was an election between sanity and uh, radicalism and that, you know, that, that everything in normalcy versus insanity versus crazy government. And the Israeli voters voted and they did not vote for Yair Lapid or Benny Gantz or the parties on the center left. So... You know, um, you win some, you lose some. Now, they can protest and make whatever trouble they want. And obviously, the protests have gone quite a bit too far, where reservists and military personnel are refusing to go to trainings and uh, saying that they're going to resign and things like that. And so there's a lot of, uh, of protest out there. Well, that's a sign that BB needs to compromise, and that's why he's backed down. But still... Uh, a lot of protests over these uh, judicial reforms. So we'll see what happens. Most likely some kind of, you know, milder, tempered, tamed, toned down reform will pass and then uh, things will go forward. If it doesn't, there will be elections. Right. I mean, this is an, this is a logic, you know, either or. Right. Um, true or false. Right. If uh, if reform passes, then you know, the government can go on. If the reform fails, uh, it's likely that the the religious Zionists will probably pull out of the coalition. They're not happy with uh, backing down. If you look at uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir's tweets, uh, he's been calling, you know, the government cowardly and what have you. There have been counter demonstrations in favor of the judicial reforms, by the way, by people saying that they're, you know, the left is trying to steal the election and, and undermine democracy. So... Those are the two positions. That's what's going on. That's what here's what's likely to happen. And uh, in the next segment, I will talk about uh, Yair Lapid's call for a constitution and why Israel doesn't have a constitution in the first place. And then uh, I'll uh, wrap up by talking a little bit about the politics uh, toward the end of the episode. <laughs> 
So I've talked about uh, how Israel is a sovereign parliament, right? And that means that uh, Israel has, uh, their, their system of government is focused on this, um, this Knesset that is elected by the people and they have absolute power. Why is that the case? And here's basic answer. The Knesset was kind of designed reflecting the parliaments of Europe, with that in mind, uh, but also the uh, governing body of uh, the Haganah, the, the, the Jewish community that had uh, existed before the establishment of the state of Israel. Uh, but it, the intention of the Knesset was that this would be a constitutional convention. They would hold an election in, in uh, 1949, have a Knesset, and then that Knesset would go and write a constitution, and then elections would be held under that constitution, right? A pretty reasonable transition, right? America gained its independence effectively when, uh, when we had the, uh, the surrender at Yorktown and the vote of no confidence in Lord North in uh, 1781 and 82, respectively. And... After that, we got kind of organized politically, and, and it was another six years before we had the Constitutional Convention, and then it took a couple of years to get our Constitution adopted. Uh, but that, of course, was in the late 18th century, considering things moved a little slower back then. Uh, but, you know, in the mid-20th century, it was pretty reasonable, right? You, you elect a Knesset, you elect a body, a Constitutional Convention. Uh, they will be made up of groups that represent different facets of Israeli society, and, uh, you know, right, left, and all of that, labor unions and, and religious people and what have you, all the, all the little groups in society, and then those people all come together and uh, draft a constitution. So the Knesset was elected, and then another election was held, another election, a lot of politics, a lot of issues. Obviously, Israel had to fight a war for its independence. Having won its independence, uh, the 1950s turned out to be a turbulent time in Israeli politics, and uh, David Ben-Gurion and the, uh, the left generally leading the government, trying to put a country together. And, you know, they, they've got refugees coming in from all over the Middle East, from Iraq, from Iran, from Egypt, from all over. You know, the Jews, you know, 800,000 Jews forced out of Muslim countries, uh, most of them during the 1950s. And so, you know, we're trying to build this country and we've got all these people coming in and all these issues going on. So uh, it, was, it was a turbulent time. And in that process, the Knesset essentially became the parliament and they, there was no constitution. Uh, they drafted a basic law, which is kind of, it's a structure for the government, but it can be changed at any time by the Knesset. So, uh, you know, there, there you are. In, in most states of the United States, you have to have a, a national referendum, a state referendum, excuse me, you know, a, a vote of the states in order to amend the Constitution. In most countries, you have to have a national referendum in order to amend the Constitution. But there are um, countries and states, there are states in the U.S. where the Constitution can be amended by a two-thirds vote of the state legislature. And there are uh, countries out there that allow their basic structure of government, the constitution, to be amended by uh, their parliament. For In Germany, for example, uh, the Bundestag, the lower, the lower house, uh, is, uh, represents the people, and the Bundesrat, the, the upper house, represents the, the lander, the states, 
basically in the in the Bundes means federal for those of you who don't know. I I, I speak a little German, so it, it doesn't help when I don't tell you what it means. So uh, it's the Bundesrepublik, right? The uh, uh, the Federal Republic of of Germany. Well, so um, when the two houses agree and and you know agree to a, a reform, they can change their basic law, right? Uh, which is not easy to do and is rarely done, but it can be done. Well, in Israel, they did not draft a constitution. Uh, they just put up this basic law that kind of governs how the Knesset is organized, how the government is organized, and what have you. But everything that exists in the Israeli political system exists because the Knesset created it through the basic law. The Knesset could pass an amendment to the basic law and end the Supreme Court. There'd be no more Supreme Court. That's the kind of power the Knesset has. Why? Because it's a constitutional assembly. <laughs> it is a sovereign parliament. Um, I've joked before about how, you know, King Charles, on paper, is the most powerful leader in Britain, right? He's, he's a very powerful monarch. Uh, if he chose not to sign the Magna Carta, the House of Lords goes away. Uh, and presumably, you know, as an extension of Magna Carta, uh, the House of Commons. So you know, he could get rid of the Lords and the Commons and get rid of Parliament altogether and thus, you know, rule the country like his uh, ancestors did on paper. He couldn't do that effectively because no one would go along with it. But the fact is, every institution of the British government, every uh, government document, everything that exists in the British government exists because of the signature and seal of the crown. So technically speaking, uh, every instrument comes from him, from the king, right? and the king's person. And theoretically, he could unmake those things. That's the theory of the British government. It all revolves around the crown. That's one of the reasons why uh, getting rid of the monarchy in, in Britain is kind of complicated, because they'd have to, they basically have to write a constitution. They can't just end the monarchy, right? They, they would, uh, it would require the complete restructuring of their entire government. Uh, getting rid of the, the monarchy in Britain would be very much like getting rid of the Constitution in the United States. So we'd have to rewrite our entire structure of government, rethink it. Anyway, so um, and, and there's been talk of that over the years, but uh, of switching to a parliamentary system in America or disregarding the Constitution or what have you. Um, interestingly, you know, people immediately then bring up, uh, you know, would it would it you know, unmake our individual liberties and that kind of thing. Generally speaking, the people who advocate for those things are headed in that direction, right? Like you, people on the left say, well, Congress should just, you know, ban, you know, should be able to pass a gun law ban or what have you, something like that. And, you know, so they think, well, if, if we just decide that we're having, you know, just push the Constitution aside and now we can just get rid of the Second Amendment and this kind of thing. It, you know, that kind of talk is dangerous. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, Fanciful. Uh, you know, when I was in college and I was a young radical, I, I read some books about that type of thinking and I chewed on it after a little while. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, what a what a thing we could do. You know, we could we could just, you know, we could the House of Representatives really is the, the democratic body in America. They should govern the country. And after a very little bit, <laughs> very little bit, um, I realized, you know, if you throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's good and bad to every structure of government. Our Constitution has some challenges, uh, but it is overall, on the whole, a good document. And uh, we've been able to fill a lot of plug a lot of the holes, if you will, with amendments uh, or informal amendments or by you know setting up uh, traditions and what have you. And it works. It's been flexible. The framers designed it to be flexible so that it would bend with the wind and not break. And uh, 
they were they were on the whole right, you know, for the most part. And some of the compromises that they had to make that that became the biggest problems in our society, like slavery, for example, were things they could they had no power over. And there was no way the Constitution was going to be adopted if it, adopted if it banned slavery. Right. That was never going to happen. Uh, you know, South Carolina would have needed, you know, two and a half seconds to say no to that. Anyway, so the point is and, and I bring up these examples and, and make these points because um, this is kind of the debate where Israel is right now, because the Knesset is still a constitutional assembly, because it still has the power to do anything it wants. It is a threat to individual liberties, right? I mean, the, the Knesset can do whatever it wants. Now, the courts have tried to challenge that and create some checks and balances, and in part because Britain was the last governing body, colonial power, before they left. And so the, the Israeli legal system is based on common law, just like ours. And that common law tradition holds that the law reigns supreme, right? Uh, and that there are principles and precedents and that you, you, can't, you can't break. These are unbreakable, inviolable concepts, right? So that's why they're, they, you know, the courts are acting the way they are. Are they going too far? The right believes they are. I think they've gone a little too far in a couple of cases. Uh, but is it, you know, is it worth making these reforms? Probably not. So talking about a constitution, there's been talk of of drafting a constitution several times in Israel. And um, often it runs into that roadblock of, of, I want to say popular ennui. It just, there's, you know, there's only so much interest people have in having a constitution. When you found a country and it's brand new, yeah, people are thinking about a constitution. They're thinking about their structures. Like, you know what? We, we need a better government than this. But that was a long time ago. That was 75 years ago. What are we going to do now, right? Drafting a constitution now is complicated. I mean, imagine, you know, America just before the American Civil War saying, you know, um, the Articles of Confederation aren't working for us anymore. We really should draft a constitution. All this, you know, you have a, you have a lot of time. Traditions have developed. Things have, have changed. Um, so that's a complicated concept at this point. However, it's not impossible and it's not even infeasible. Uh, Yair Lapid, the leader of the opposition and leader of the center-left Yeshatid party, basically the, the future party for uh, all intents and purposes, has called for a constitutional convention or, or you know, write, writing a constitution. And basically, it's what the Knesset is for. It's an interesting concept. That has always been an idea the left has liked because... You know, they could use it to enshrine individual liberties uh, that the left claims to support uh, until the freedom of speech and, and democracy turn against the left. Then, of course, you know, all of a sudden you can't say that and uh, your vote doesn't matter. You know, you can elect a government. We don't care. You're, you're not allowed to implement whatever reforms you want to implement or were elected to implement. So anyway, <laughs> uh, slight aside there. Um this might be an interesting time for Israel to, to draft a constitution. Uh, people are quite a bit upset, so it wouldn't be something that could be done tomorrow, right? Like, it would be the kind of thing that, you know, maybe this summer they could put a committee together and in a year's time it could come back with a proposed constitution. But it is an interesting time, and, and here's why. 
the old left has gone, and so we have a new center left. So the questions of economic structure and, and some of the bigger issues are not there anymore. Right. There was a time when they wanted a constitution to guarantee a basic universal income and things like that. You know, the, uh, a socialist constitution. Well, socialism has had its day in Israel and it's past uh, the 400 percent inflation and uh, economic chaos of the 70s <laughs> proved that those policies, those, this, uh, that left wing economic structure did not work. And Israel has been slowly moving in a free market direction since. So uh, that kind of thing isn't, isn't an issue. Also, while a constitution is a concept that has generally been seen as something that favors the left, there's an interesting time here where the right, and especially the far right, are in government, right? They have a majority of the Knesset. So if a constitution were drafted now, there would be a, a unique opportunity to make sure that the right and the religious uh, Jews, the, the Orthodox, are comfortable with it. Right. And I know, you know, I've said that I disagree with a lot of the politics of the Haredi, the Orthodox. Uh, and I've said that before that I disagree with a lot of the politics of the far right. But the fact is, a constitution is not just a constitution for me. Right. The United States Constitution is not Isaac's constitution. It's not Joe Biden's constitution. It's not Donald Trump's constitution. It's the American constitution and it belongs to all of us. It protects all of us. It protects us and our rights and uh, ensures our liberty, right? Uh, at least uh, from a legal point of view. We still have to defend that liberty because, unfortunately, the, the Constitution is just a piece of parchment. So we, we have to stand up for ourselves and, uh, you know, defend it. But in any case, could Israel draft a Constitution? It could, and now would be a good time again, to make sure that it's uh, balanced and acceptable to all parties. So this is a, a really good time for that. And um, it might actually be a benefit after all of this controversy and all this talk of, you know, civil strife and, you know, civil war in quotation marks and um, the, the dictatorship and all this kind of thing. Well, if you don't like the fact that the government, the, the Knesset has too much power and thus the ability to um, override anything and control everything, then, you know, now is, is the time to think about that. And from the right and the left, I mean, here, here's the reality. The right could push these reforms through. Let's just say, right, BB didn't back off the protest. They just go ahead and pass the reforms and they put them through and do whatever they want. Well, as a result, and if the left wins the next election, they could cram through whatever reforms they want, not only repealing these, but taking things even farther left, right? The left has absolute power when they come into the Knesset as much as the right does. So this, this is a good time to think about government structure and that kind of thing. So it is my sincere hope that Israelis will calm down uh, and get real and, uh, you know, chill out. There's all these people who are, you know, just full of, of bile about all of this. And it's like, let's relax. You know, the, the, the reforms have evoked a lot of emotion. Uh, they're on pause now. Compromises will be reached. It will not be nearly as a quote unquote extreme or as far right as, as people said they were going to be or feared they were going to be. And obviously, you know, the protests and they don't want no reform. And again, I'm talking about this is part of the larger 
you know, shifts that uh, Israel is no longer a left-wing country. It's now a right-wing country, and, and there are a lot of people who don't like that. Also, the country is being increasingly led by the Mizrahim, the Eastern Jews, rather than the, the more secular center-left Ashkenazic Jews or uh, European Jews. So th there's also a new generation of politicians coming to office. So there's a lot of things all kind of, you know, a lot of, of trends that are all in, in a you know, big, you know, confluence into this nexus of energy that's focused on these judicial reforms. Uh, they really are, it really is about the future of the country. And that's why everyone's all upset about it. In any case, um, there was a draft constitution written uh, for Israel that was published in the New York Times uh, back in the uh, early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. Somebody wrote it. Again, it includes the universal income and what have you. It's a, it's a very left-leaning constitution. Uh, but, you know, that was an interesting proposal. It was an interesting idea of somebody, you know, proposing a constitution for the state of Israel. Uh, and it would be very easy to adopt something like that. I would just encourage if, if a constitutional convention were, if a committee were established to draft a constitution, uh, flexibility, right? Flexibility, vagueness, leave things open <laughs> to interpretation and, and vague, you know, so that wouldn't solve all the problems. But I think, you know, if you had a constitution that guaranteed individual liberties, like our constitution. So, I mean, if we set up a selection committee in the federal government that narrowed the number of judges uh, option, the judicial nomination options, we wouldn't be necessarily as upset about that because we still have a right to freedom of speech and the right to gun ownership. That's all guaranteed in the constitution. For Israel, they don't have those. And so they're kind of concerned that, you know, what, what, you know, if, if the Knesset can override the Supreme Court, then the Knesset could literally do anything. Right. Uh, they could limit the rights of any group of people. So that's that's the concern. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about politics and wrap things up. As I've mentioned before on this podcast, many times before, polls in Israel are... You know, <laughs> to be taken with a grain of salt, maybe a, maybe a whole tablespoon of salt, a lot of salt. OK, um, polling in Israel is very difficult. Uh, there are a lot of groups that are difficult to poll, for example, the, the Arabs, the Israeli Arabs. So, for example, in the last round of elections, pollsters were just assuming that uh, the Ra'am party would clear the threshold, that it would have enough votes to clear the threshold uh, because they had before and uh, because they just assumed that it would happen again because there were no polling numbers that suggested they would. The polling numbers all showed the, the Ra'am party fall below the threshold. I've talked about that before. In, in, in order to get seats in the Knesset, you have to earn at least three and a quarter percent of the vote the total vote. If you don't earn three and a quarter percent, you don't get seats. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. Right. So it's a threshold. You know, now in, a, in America, the threshold for gaining a seat in, say, the House of Representatives is winning a House race. Right. So if you had a third party, uh, the Patriot Party or the Green Party or any third party out there, uh, the Libertarians, if they wanted to win a seat, they would have to get a majority in uh, a well, a, or plurality, they would have to get one vote more than the next guy in an election, right? So you, you just imagine maybe a very chaotic election with, you know, five major candidates or what have you. Uh, a third party 
could potentially get one vote more than one of the other candidates ended up uh, winning the office. In any case, that's our threshold. You know, you have to win a seat, right? In the Knesset, since it's proportional, it's based on the percentage of the vote you receive, you have to receive a minimum percentage in order to get seats. Now, the 3.25, the three and a quarter percent is, is pretty generous. Germany, the, the threshold is 5%. That's a little bit higher threshold, so, right? Anyway, so um, this is the... Um, uh, this is, this is the, the structure here, right? And the polling, because of this structure, gives you a broad general idea of what's going on, but they don't, it doesn't paint you an accurate picture. And so this is why I've talked a lot about trends, right? It's more important to see who's going up and who's going down, um, which groups of parties, blocks of parties are going down or going up. You can only do trends. Now, polling trends are a little bit more of a hard science, right? So recently, as an example, here in the United States, polls for the Republican primary, which uh, are largely between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, um, those polls have shown an uptick for Donald Trump. You'll see these polls, you know, some of them are like, you know, in February, he had a 15 point lead. In March, he has a 30 point lead, right? Uh and some polls will show, well, he had an 11-point lead and then an 18-point lead and now a 25% lead. The point is you see a number of different polling agencies showing the same trend, and that becomes a little bit more of a solid thing. We have a solid scientific trend. Subjective, yes, not completely objective in, in you know, pure science, but it's more of a hard science, the trend. And I've talked I've talked a little bit about polling science before in this, but that's basically, you know, the direction I watched in the 2016 election where the polls were wildly wrong uh, that in October, uh, Donald Trump started rising and rising quickly. You know, there were a lot of people who just didn't like Donald Trump personally and wouldn't say that they were voting for him. Uh, but as we got into October, the polls started uh, going in his direction. He started rising rapidly. And, uh, you know, I noted that trend with people that he was rising rapidly. And then, you know, NBC came out with a poll. Oh, Hillary's winning by 11 points. It's a landslide. And that poll was a ridiculous outlier. And you knew it was a ridiculous outlier. Uh, all the other point polls out there, even CBS and other, all those other polls were like four or five points that she was ahead, which could be considered a landslide in American politics. You know, U.S. elections don't tend to be won uh, overwhelmingly like that. You know, they're very rare that you get a, a big, overwhelming election. Usually it's it's 51-49-ish, right? And so if you, you can call it a solid win if you got 51% of the vote. And, of course, those votes don't even matter because it's the Electoral College. So Ronald Reagan won, you know, an election uh, with something like 55, 56% of the vote in 1984. And he got, you know, 400 electoral votes because he won almost every state, right? Uh, and so it looked like he was, you know... He almost won unanimously, you know, if you, if you didn't know better. There were, there were just a little bit of blue on the map, right? In any case. So um, in, in Israel, polling is very difficult. It's difficult to poll different groups and what have you. And a lot of things depend on turnout. Right-wing voters tend to turn out better than left-wing voters. So when they poll, the sample sizes for the left tend to be too high. So 
you kind of have to add like five or six seats to the right, even to get the poll to be semi-accurate. And the headlines, God, back in the 2015 uh, election, there, you know, the, the government collapsed early. It was largely Yair Lapid's fault. Um, they, uh, they decided to have early elections. They just had elections in 2013. So it was, you know, less than two years, right? And uh, everyone thought, oh, this is our chance to get rid of Bibi. And I wrote at the time on the Times of Israel blog. You can go read my comments there to this day if you go look them up. Uh, that the fact, you know, I told everybody, look, what's going to happen here is Bibi's going to win and it's going to be a more right-wing government. And that's what happened in 2015. Uh, but a lot of U.S. money, you know, Barack Obama spent a lot of money trying to unseat Bibi Netanyahu, just like he spent money trying to unseat uh, Harper in Canada. And uh, that's how the Canadians got stuck with Justin Trudeau. Ugh. Anyway, so the um, the polls have shifted just a little bit leftward, um, not big time, nothing substantial. There does seem to be, in, in terms of the public opinion on the judicial reform issue, things do seem to be going against Bibi. People just generally seem to be in the mindset of, you know, why is this necessary? And there's, it's because of the nature of the reforms. Reforms just go too far. But at the same time, while that is the case, that does not necessarily translate into votes. Okay? Voters, those election polls, are right about the same place they were before the last election, with Bibi and his coalition at 56, 57 seats. So if the polls haven't moved that much, like people are generally kind of leaning against the judicial reforms in their current form, but the polls haven't changed much, which means voters still prefer this government. If, you know, the, if the government, if the current governing coalition was polling it, you know, 57, 58, 56 seats, 59, depending on, I, I read those polls to you, you can go back and, and watch those episodes from, uh, last autumn, right? Uh, when those polls came out and, I was telling everyone, you know, it's going to depend on turnout. Probably right wing voters are going to turn out in greater numbers and because they were more excited for the election. And, you know, polls at 58 seats gave the right 64 seats in the final analysis. Right. They want a bigger, a bigger chunk. So, you know, again, polling hasn't moved much uh, at the same time. Polling hasn't moved much. This coalition has a vested interest in staying in government. And I talked about that with the last coalition. They had a vested interest in staying in government, but they had a couple of rebellious individuals, people on the far right and the far left extremes of that coalition, because it was made up of right, far right and far left parties under Yair Lapid and uh, Naftali Bennett. Bennett was prime minister for most of that time, and then Lapid took over. Well, you know, the that coalition had like eight parties and they were far right and far left. And, you know, so you had a few outliers, a few individuals who wouldn't support the government. And so ultimately that government fell apart, but it was kind of doomed from the start. It could only be a caretaker government. It could only manage for a year and a half. It was a year. It had been in office about a year before elections were called. So, um, they, they ultimately broke up, but they had a vested interest. All of those parties, we're trying to keep Bibi Netanyahu out of office, right? And so that kind of held that all together for a little while until eventually it just could not survive. Well, now Bibi's back in office. These parties have a vested interest in staying in office. The Religious Zionist Party got 14 seats in the Knesset this last election. And that's a pretty big win. 
the likelihood is when, when parties get a big win like that, a surprise large number of votes, they usually don't keep it, right? So they had a big win this go-round. If there's another election held, there's no guarantee that they get anywhere near 14 seats. They could have seven, right? Another party could come up on the right that, that takes up. I mean, those Basically, those who voted for uh, the religious Zionists are people who are amalgamated from about you know, three different political movements. You know, you have some of the old far right, like the National Union people, like Mayor of Jerusalem, uh, Arya King, whom I interviewed a few episodes back. Good interview to go listen to. Um, you can hear in his own words what the kind of the old far right is about. Uh, there's also a religious right uh, in the uh, Bayit HaYehudi, Home for the Jews Party, which is uh, focused on the residents of Judea and Samaria that are uh, fed up with the way politics works, and they were behind the Yamina party, right? And then you have the new far right, the religious Zionists, people led by Betzalel Smotrich, who leads the RZ party, and uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, right? People like him. And they all voted for religious Zionists. They may not do that again. Some of them may go to other parties, right? So it was a big surprise that they got 14 seats. So they probably don't win as many seats if they go back. The Orthodox, Shas and, and UTJ, the two main Orthodox parties, they know that working with Bibi is their only goal, their only, their only win. Yair Lapid is generally against the interests of the Orthodox. There's no reason for them to join a government led by him. It would be detrimental to their interests. They know that. The best they could do by joining his government would be to minimize and maybe stave off reforms, but they would not get anything that they want. If they want to be able to win, if they want to be able to get things that they want for their voters, they have to be with Bibi. He's their only ticket, if you will. And the same with religious Zionists. No one else will form a coalition with them. They would never be part of a, a broad coalition, let's say, with Yair Lapid, right? They're too far right. And the Likud party, which is the main center-right party in Israel, like the Republicans here, they're, they're not exactly the same. They're very different political parties, but... Um, you know, the Likud party is the main center-right party, uh, they likewise want to stay in office. So this coalition, and, and Bibi, who's been leading them, has been clinging to power. You know, he's obsessed with staying in power, so it seems. So you have, um, you have this coalition of parties that have a vested interest in staying in office. So they're very likely to want to go the full four years, even if they become unpopular. And they're allowed to do that. Elections don't have to be held until 2026, right? So the, the autumn of 2026, that's the law. The Knesset has a four-year term. At maximum, they have to hold an election then, right? Uh, they could hold an early election if the government falls, or if they vote to hold an early election. So where do we stand? Probably, even though there's, there's all the protests and all this stuff, probably some reform passes, in some version or another, more moderate than the proposed reforms. And this government stays in office and we move on. You know, and the demonstrators who are all fired up and upset now will eventually fade away and uh, Israel will go on. Right. That's that's the way political compromise works. That's what happens in a democratic society. Uh, well, you know, possibly talk of drafting a constitution. I think that would be wise. But. In any case, you, you get that. So now um, 
this is the political situation. The likelihood that the left would win an election is still low. If I want to say, like, if if the polls shifted a little bit away from BB, you know, again, they they get about six, seven seats more than what's polled. So if uh, his coalition started polling down in the low 50s, 51, 52, that would be bad. That would mean they wouldn't get reelected in all likelihood. You know, they might get, you know, 56, 57 seats. Again, we've seen with the four elections that BB and his natural allies would win enough seats that they were the they were the largest block, but they didn't have enough seats to form a coalition. They didn't have a majority. And this happened again and again and again. That's why there were four elections, right? After the third election, he couldn't form a government. So, you know, Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid put a government together, right? Eight parties from across the political spectrum, whose one interest was having Bibi Netanyahu out of office. And that failed. The voters voted against that. You know, the, the first opportunity they had, they voted that government down. Would they would would they want to go back to a situation? I mean, would voters vote again to go back to political stalemate? Who knows? So I think the, the best thing for everyone is if this government just stays in office. You know, a lot of people on the left want early elections. I don't know what they're excited about. They're not going to win. There is no version of of reality where they win. I mean, you look at the polls and it's like even if the Arab Ra'am party joined the coalition, joined the government, you know, their their best polling puts them in the 50s. Right. Uh, they don't they don't have enough seats. They'd never get anywhere near a majority. So, you know, the best they can hope for is to moderate these reforms and then wait for the election and, and hope that voters are willing to vote their way. Uh, they have to make the case, make an argument. Um, but as I said before, public opinion on the judicial reform issues in particular seem to be moving away from BB. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons he's seeking compromise. And we'll see how all this pans out. Uh, how it plays. Um, but, you know, tumultuous times. At least it's exciting from a news po- commentary point of view. Uh, so there you are. Um, I have a number of articles out on Political Vanguard. Politicalvanguard.com is the home of Inside Israel News. And you can go there and find articles I have about uh, should the U.S. contain China and how could the U.S. contain China if we decide that we should. Uh, you know, that we must. And I say that we should. We must um, in my articles. In any case, that's on Political Vanguard in the contributors section, which is just below below the main news. And Inside Israel News is at the bottom right on desktop, all the way at the bottom on mobile, where uh, you can find uh, my episodes of the podcast. And uh, if you're interested, Inside Israel News is on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I upload these episodes to YouTube so that they can be watched there and uh, try to gain access to, you know, other viewers. Uh, Very difficult to find. You literally have to look up Inside Israel News channel and then filter for channels to get me because uh, I just don't rank anywhere on the on the uh, YouTube thing. I mean, look, it's just, this podcast is just me recording by myself. I have no marketing team. I have no uh, company behind me. I have nobody promoting me. Um, it's just, this is just little old me. So please tell your friends and encourage them to listen and uh, stay informed and be Israel insiders where they too can know all the things that are going on. So with that, I will say as always, goodbye. Lahitro.